You may be seated. You got Mark, you want to come forward? I didn't mention this at our uh, eight o'clock service, but I do feel like I need to say this um, today that um, Mark has been in the ordination process and he has gone through discernment with our discernment team, um, has been approved and sent to the diocese and the standing committee has approved him. He is what we call a postulant now. Um, that means he's posturing himself as a tax collector. <laughs> No, just, but he is in the ordination process, and so the next step for him will be um, lining up all of his educational stuff. He's got a number of credits through his years at Young Life, and so um, we're working on that. So, Mark, um, I'll say some other things later, but that, that's enough. All right. Let the gospel do the talking. All right. Um, would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God. Come follow fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, come follow fresh on this place and on your people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Robert introduced me. My name's Mark Wilson. Um, but if you knew me well, you would know um, that I'm Terry's husband. Um, that's how I'm known in most circles of life, um, definitely in the Young Life world and here locally. I walk around and, oh, you're Terry's husband. And that's a great thing. Um, I'm also known as Gentry's dad. Gentry's 13, going into eighth grade. I'm also known as Wiley's dad. She's eight, going into the third grade. Um, I'm known as Mark and Beth's son. Um, known as a lot of things, but um, if you knew me well, you would know that, that the people on this row um, are my heart and, and the best parts about me. Um, I do get to work for a ministry called Young Life. Terry and I both do. We're both on staff together um, full-time, and it's a gift and a privilege to get to do that um, together. Um, but, you know, if you want to know anything about Young Life, we'd love to tell you about it. Today, I want to focus on Jesus. Um, but a couple of things you need to know before I get into it about what we do is we really try to reach kids. Young Life's an outreach ministry for middle school and high school students um, it's over 75 years old. We didn't make it up. Um, we didn't invent it. It's been around for a long time. We just get to be a part of it. Um, we really try to reach high school and middle school kids that are disinterested in the gospel. Um, the world might call them lost. I like to just call them disinterested because that's really what it is. They're, they're, the kids that we spend a lot of time with aren't interested in Jesus. They're not interested in following him. They're not interested in being here this morning. Um, so we try to get to know them in their world through relationships, and we have the privilege of getting to walk through life with them and, and share the truth of the gospel with them. Um, and a lot of times we get to see um, them come to know the Lord in a real way. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And we just got back from camp. We spent a week in the mountains of North Carolina at Carolina Point. It's a beautiful place. The first morning we were there, it was 48 degrees, much different than today. Um, but it was amazing. We took a busload of kids from the Eastern Shore. And I, I said at eight o'clock, I, I don't know why I'm amazed every year at certain kids' responses to the gospel when they hear it. Because all week they hear the gospel progression every night or their six nights. And year after year, living in the Deep South, we still hear kids say, I never knew this. Terry had a girl um, last summer say to her, um, he was there my whole life, 
He was right there and I never knew it. This summer, she had another girl say to her, no one's ever told me this. Um, every, at the end of the week, every Young Life leader on property has a one-on-one conversation with every kid that's in their cabin for the week. And I, Terry had conversations with girls and I had this conversation with a guy and without going into a lot of details, um, he started sharing some things and he, he talked about it. He said he had a hard year and he got into some things he wasn't proud of. And um, so I asked a question um, that I learned to ask as I've gotten older. I said, tell me more about that. And he went on to tell me some really hard things um, that he shouldn't have to be dealing with and not things that are happening at home and in school. And I asked him if he would, he'd ever considered going to talk to someone else about that. And he said, you know, no one's ever asked me. No one's ever asked me how I'm doing. Um, and that really broke my heart that, that there's kids in our community, um, affluent, incredible families that look like um, they have it all together. They feel alone. They feel isolated. Um, he even said, you would, if you looked at my family on the outside, you would think we were perfect. Um, but I, he told me his whole story. And um, I think that I share that to transition. We have this this story today in the gospel of where we meet Matthew. And I don't know um, if your neighborhood or your street that you live on, your community, if there's a Facebook group um, for your neighborhood. I hope there's not. Um, but chances are there is, and we have one in our neighborhood. And it's really a sad place to spend time, um, really on Facebook in general, but, but definitely in our neighborhood chat group, it's just a place for people to really complain about anything. Um, just to complain and gripe. But really the target of our, um, Terry pointed this out, and I had seen it, but the target audience that receives all the complaints in our neighborhood are teenagers. And a lot of times it's, oh, kids were at the pool till nine o'clock, okay. And then it's, kids did this and kids, you know, they're driving too fast, which they shouldn't. But the, the one that really just shook me or struck me was um, recently, in all caps, you know, when someone texts in all caps, they're really yelling. I don't know if you knew that, but it said, I was walking my dog and there were boys walking down the street, period. And that was it. It's like, it's like they, why, why is that, why is that a bad thing? But they're the, they're, they're misunderstood. They're the target of these complaints. This person just really didn't think teenage boys should be roaming the streets in the middle of the afternoon in a great neighborhood. It just doesn't make sense. Um, but we see today, this morning, that Dan read, and I, I love the way that Dan reads the gospel. I know that you do too. Um, a tax collector, Matthew. Um, and the, this is the story of Jesus calling him to follow him. And if you know anything about a tax collector back in the days of Jesus, they were not well-liked. If there was a Facebook group, they would have been criticized. They were the outcast. They were alone. Um, they were excluded even from the temple. They weren't even allowed to go worship because of what they did for a living. You see, they weren't like a tax collector of today. Back then, they would, if Mark owed $20 to the government, he would go pay his $20. But Matthew, the tax collector, could say, you owe 30 and be perfectly fine with that, and he would put the extra 10 in his pocket. Perfectly, it's just the way the system worked. So Matthew was wealthy, he was comfortable, 
He had all the things that, that he needed to be comfortable and secure. He was protected by the Roman government. There was nothing um, that he lacked in life. But he was alone. He was an outcast. He was excluded from the temple. He couldn't go worship. No one talked to him. The, his own people didn't like him. Um, but he was comfortable. He was wealthy. He had some things. Um, and here comes Jesus walking down the road with his friends. He had just done some incredible things. If you go back a couple of chapters, he had healed a man. Um, he had healed a servant. He had healed a paralytic. He had calmed a storm, done some amazing things, and he had taught some amazing things. But in this encounter is when he really starts to turn things around and maybe even flip things upside down from the way that things had been done before. You see, he walks by and he sees Matthew, an outcast, someone that the world had tossed aside, someone really living in um, the tension of right and wrong. And he says two words to him. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, Matthew, figure your life out, get yourself together, clean yourself up, quit doing X, Y, and Z. And then if you can find me, come, you can follow me. Now he says two words. He says, follow me. And what does Matthew do? It says he immediately got up and he followed Jesus. You see, Jesus knew him. He knew everything about him. He knew his good. He knew his bad. He was, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He knew Matthew intimately, yet he still asked him to come and follow him. Matthew was fully known and fully loved at the same time by the God of the universe. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV or, I don't know, internet series, The Chosen. Um, maybe if you say that word, you're kind of doing what I did the first time I heard it, and you're like, oh, I've heard of The Chosen. Um, I sometimes get a little skeptical when I hear someone tell me I should watch a Christian series. Probably wrong of me, I'll admit, but sometimes I'm a little skeptical. I've seen some that aren't great. I've seen some that are a little cheesy. I've seen some that aren't accurate biblically. So I have a hard time with it sometimes. And so certain people in my life told me I should watch it. The one that I listened to the most, the voice that I listened to the most was my wife, Terry. And she said, I think we should watch it. So we did. And immediately I realized what an amazing thing this is, The Chosen. Um, it's an incredible series. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've only watched bits and pieces. But I challenge you today or this week to Google or get on YouTube and just type in The Chosen, The Calling of Matthew. It's like a three and a half minute clip. If that's all you do with The Chosen, great. Just watch that three and a half minute clip. It's unbelievable the way the producers of this show paint the picture of what happened in the story. You see, it shows Matthew in his tax collector booth and he's guarded by this Roman soldier and he's exchanging money. He's really a smart guy. He's, he's got this ledger and he's methodical in the way he records his numbers. And then here comes Jesus with his friends, just like the, the scriptures say, and they're walking by. And Jesus locks eyes with Matthew in the tax collector booth, just like I would imagine it to have happened. And he turns around and he, he looks at him in the eyes and he says, Matthew, and Matthew responds and he says, who, me? And Jesus says, yeah, 
Matthew, son of Alphaeus, he calls him by name again and reminds him of who he is and where he's come from. And he says, follow me. And Matthew again is like, me? And Jesus said, yeah. And he smiles, this incredibly gracious smile. And so Matthew leaves his tax collector booth, slams the door, locks it with a key, and he hands, and, and then the Roman guard just grabs him physically and shakes him. He's like, what are you doing? You're secure. You have money. We're protecting you. You have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Where are you going? And he just hands him the key. And he walks away from a life that he thought was comfort and security, and he follows Jesus. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures in this is they just start walking down this dusty road. And finally, Matthew just goes, where are we going? He decided to follow him. And one of the women that was accompanying Jesus says to him in, in, the, in the, the show, she says, to a dinner party. And he said, where's that going to be? And they say, your house. <laughs> and so in Luke's gospel, in Luke's account of this, we heard it from Matthew today. It, it shows that this dinner party did happen in Matthew's home. So Jesus basically says, hey, we're going to go to dinner tonight, but you're hosting it. And we're going to go to your house. Matthew doesn't really tell us where it was, but Luke did. And what you need to know about dinner or a meal back in these days is it was the ultimate sign of friendship. The ultimate sign of relationship, of intimacy was to share a meal with someone. So to invite someone to share a meal with you would have been I want to live life with you. I want to be um, in relationship with you. I want you to, uh, to know me and I want to know you. It was the, the ultimate sign of friendship. And that's the first thing Jesus does when he brings Matthew in. is they throw a dinner party and then he throws a dinner party at his house. I hope that you have places in your life or tables in your life where you feel comfortable, where you can recline at a table like we heard today. I have a few of those places, a few of those tables in my life where I can recline and, and be comfortable and be myself. I hope that you do as well. But for Matthew, this was the first time I think he may have experienced that type of belonging. You see, at this table, he was known, he was loved, he was accepted, um, and he became a follower of Jesus. They were reclining at the table. That's different. That's not just sitting at a meal wanting to get through it, hoping it's over soon so you can go to the next thing. Reclining at a table shows leisure. It shows comfort. It shows enjoyment. It shows peace. It shows joy. I think it also shows freedom to be able to recline at a table with people, but it also really shows belonging. And I think for the first time, Matthew felt a sense of belonging from Jesus and his invitation to follow him. No matter where he had been, no matter what he had done, no matter where he was that day, he belonged. So there are two groups of people in the story. There are those that are reclining at the table with Jesus. And here Dan said, where, there you are, that Jesus was reclining as well. It wasn't just the people, but Jesus was relaxed. He was comfortable with these people. And Dan read it in a, in a perfect way that they were sinners and they were tax collectors. Maybe they were disinterested people. 
but Jesus is relaxed. He's not afraid or threatened. He's comfortable at this dinner party, and they're, they're relaxed. They're reclining. There's peace, there's belonging, and there's freedom at the table. But then there's another group, and they're outside of the table. They're not reclining at the table with Jesus. They're not experiencing freedom. They're not experiencing joy, in my opinion. I don't think they're experiencing peace. They're the Pharisees, the rulers of the law, the religious right. They think that they know best. They've tried their whole life to live by this certain code, this law, to do the right things, to be good, to do everything that they can to just earn God's approval, while at the same time pointing fingers at those who aren't. And you see, they're on the outside of the room, peering in, confused. Why is Jesus hanging out with them? Why is he spending time with the sinners or the tax collectors? Throw in whatever word you want, because that's where he is. Jesus, sitting there at dinner, one of the, the Pharisees was bold enough to ask one of the disciples, why does your teacher reclining at a table with, with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus doesn't even give um, his friend a chance to answer. It says when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You see, the Pharisees, the rulers of the law of that time, because of their adherence to the law, they thought that they were clean. They thought that they were physically healthy. They thought that they were perfect, that they had it all figured out. They didn't think they needed anything. But the people at the table with Jesus knew that they needed something. They knew that they were not well. They knew that something inside of them was longing to be known, was longing to be loved was longing to be accepted. They were longing the peace that only he can bring. You see, because in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we're fully known and we're fully loved at the same time. That's crazy to think about, that we're fully known. He knows everything about us, everything we've ever done, everything we're doing and thinking now in this moment and everything we'll ever do. But you know what? He fully loves us too at the same time, even as he knows all those things. That's incredible love. That's incredible acceptance. That's incredible grace that's only found in him. Nowhere else, nothing the world can offer, um, can offer that kind of freedom, that kind of belonging, that kind of peace. We're fully known in him and we're fully loved. Tim Keller, who has had a great impact on my life and probably some of yours. I never met him. Um, I did get to hear him preach a couple times at his church, Terry and I did, and um, he's quoted as saying, make sure I get this right, that to be known and not loved is our greatest nightmare. But to be loved and not known is superficial. Only in Jesus are we fully known and fully loved. To be known and not loved is our greatest nightmare. To be loved and not known, it's superficial. Only in Jesus are we fully known and fully loved. Um, it's incredible freedom that's found only there. So I have a couple of questions for you today, for us today, for myself as well. I would say first, 
who are you in this story? Or maybe where are you in this story? Um, are you reclining? Are you in a season of life where you're reclining at the table with Jesus? Are you relaxing with him? Are you experiencing great intimacy with him? Are you feeling known by him? Are you feeling loved by him? Are you, are you engaged in that reclining with him at the table? Are you on the outside looking in, trying so hard to do it on your own or grasping at other things to try to, to fill our lives or to make us happy? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that myself, but I think it's an important question to ask. Regardless of where you are in that, the call is still the same from him as it was 2,000 years ago. It's simply follow me. Two words. Regardless of where you might find yourself today, this morning, follow me. And then the second question I would say is who are the Matthews of your life or in your community? Who in your life is, a, is considered a Matthew? And as you think about it, I want you to think about this too, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you were once a Matthew. I was once a Matthew, sometimes still am. None of us has it figured out. So as we're thinking, even at that question can sound um, isolating almost, is who are the people in our lives that need to be brought in? Who are the people on the outside? Who are the people that have been left out? Who are the people um, that are running? Who are the people that are grasping at other things? Who are the Matthews in your life? And then how are we treating them? Are we inviting them in? Are we inviting them to dinner, to lunch, to coffee? Are we inviting them into this space? Because this is a great space to invite a Matthew into. It's warm, it's kind, it's, it's gentle. The Spirit is present in this place. Are we inviting them here? I would challenge you to think about that as you go about the rest of your day and your week. Um, who are the Matthews in your life? And how are we treating them? Are we loving them? Are we bringing them in? In a few minutes, we'll be invited to a different table right behind me. We're all invited to this table as, as followers of Christ. Um, you're invited and we're called. And in him, we're fully known and we're fully loved. I invite you to come, not now, but when it's time to recline at the table. We don't really have time today for everybody to lay down, but, but to relax. What is it that you're carrying that's so heavy? Maybe consider it leaving it here. Maybe you go home reclining a little bit more. Maybe you trust the one who called you with the things that you're carrying. The invitation is not just on Sundays to this table, but it's every day of every week of every year. It's to follow the one who loves you and knows you fully and gave his life for you. Let me pray. God, thank you again just for the privilege to get to open up the scriptures and share um, stories about you and the truth of who you are and who you um, claim to be. I pray that you would remind us of those things today. Anything that's not of you, would you just take it away? And the things that were of you, 
pray you would ingrain those things in our hearts and our minds as we uh, finish the service and go out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.